Caleb? Mike Wench! <laughs> <laughs>
A women's cycle can be anywhere from day 25 to 35 days and still be considered fairly normal. Your cycle is day one of your period until day one of your next period. So that's what I'm talking about when I say cycle. And then your period is actually, you know, three to seven days, that first part of your cycle when you're actually bleeding. Okay. Um, Which most people know what your period is, but then you ask them about their cycle and they're like, well, what's that? That's the time between those actual periods. Yeah. Okay. So your cycle can be, you know, is usually day one of your cycle is day one of your period, the first day you start bleeding, and then until the following period, that's your entire cycle, okay. which can be anywhere from 25 to 35 days when in an average female. And 28 days is like the gold standard, but I really don't know if there's any scientific evidence that 28 days is like what it's supposed to be. Okay. I have never <laughs> known anything about the actual basis behind 28 day cycle, but okay. um, so all of this information that we're getting during sex ed is based off of a 28 day cycle. Like if you have a 28 day cycle, you're ovulating around day 14, but that's just not how it happens for a lot of women. Like you can ovulate on day 10 or day 20. Yeah. So all the stuff that we're taught about our bodies is just very generalized and it's made to fit into a pretty little mold and pretty little package that everybody has a 28 day cycle and everybody ovulates on day 28 but or 14 but shit doesn't happen that way yeah so i think it's really important that women know the changes that happen in their own body to kind of start determining what that actually looks like for them yeah well and even past getting your period right because your body hormonally changes throughout your life right Mm -hmm. so you can't be doing the same things you were doing when you were 17 that you're doing when you're 35. Right. 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 So, and some women actually end up um, having their cycle lengthen, you yeah. know, as the years go on, which is pretty typical. Um, when you're first getting your period, like 12, 13, 14 years old, it's bound to be very irregular. Your hormones do not know what the fuck they're doing. They're still trying to get a handle on what's happening <laughs> for technical terms. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're still trying to figure it out. So what we do when we're putting, you know, 14-year-old girls on birth control is attempting to regulate their cycle when their cycle wasn't meant to be regular at that time in their life anyways. Okay. You know, it's going to be very unpredictable those first couple of years, and it will regulate itself out typically okay. unless there's an issue underlying. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, I mean, between 25 to 30 days is considered normal, yeah. but some women will always have a 40 day cycle their entire life. Okay. And if that's consistent for them, then that's considered normal too. Okay. So yeah. Are there, are there times you should be worried when you skip cycles regularly? What does that usually mean? Does it mean I'm not getting enough water or does it mean that I need to go to the doctor? You know, like <laughs> there's so much in between there, obviously, but me currently, I just got off of birth control. And mm-hmm. so my body is still figuring it out, but it's still stressful because my last one was 45 days apart. And so yeah. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. I keep taking these tests every day, but <laughs> I'm also not getting my period. Am I dying? You know, like, cause nobody tells you anything. So you think the worst whenever yeah, anything. Obviously. Yeah. That is, I mean, that is a stressful experience to be going through too, because yeah. you're like, I got off the pill. My body should be coming back into balance yeah. and I should be a fucking health goddess by now. And but... I'm having unprotected sex for the first time in my life, so I'm Ooh. definitely pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously our brains are first going to go to, like, uh, am I pregnant? Yeah. Like, we'll talk about this, but there is a very small window of time during your cycle when you can actually get pregnant. So okay. a lot of stars have to align for you to actually get pregnant. Um, and coming off of the pill is 
like you're going back to your 13, 14 year old self. You're kind yeah. of like, it's the wild west. You never know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, on the pill, your brain and your ovaries stop talking. You essentially shut down ovulation, okay. which ovulation, you know, releasing an egg for it to be implanted in a pregnancy is the main trigger for whether or not you will have a period. Oh, yeah. If you don't implant that as a pregnancy, that uterine lining sheds and you have your next period. So ovulation is the main event. Yeah. So when you're shutting that down for years, even decades, with hormones, you know, that essentially shut down that communication, you're bound to have a lot of irregular cycles coming off the pill. Um, some women never have an irregular cycle coming off. Yeah. You know, they, like, go back to a 28-day cycle and it's great. But that's not how it works for a lot of women coming off of it, unfortunately. Well, yeah, and I've heard, like, sometimes you'll get um, people who have one ovary that releases an egg every month and one that doesn't the next month. Does it switch back and forth like that? Is that something that actually happens where you, like, skip months between periods? Yeah, I mean, classically, you should have both ovaries ovulating on an alternating schedule. Okay. Doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you'll have, you know, you'll ovulate from the same ovary two months in a row. Uh, sometimes you cannot ovulate at all, and that's called an anovulatory cycle. So that's when you'd often see a really long cycle, like 40 to 60 days. Um, that happens in a lot of women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. Um, so that's a, a really common reason why you could skip cycles. Pregnancy is obviously a big one. Stress. Okay. Huge amounts of stress can delay a period like nobody's business. And the more you stress about your period being late, the longer it's going to take well, for you to get it. Well, that's why I started birth control. I was in what I would now call an abusive relationship, but I just thought I was dramatic back mm. then. And so my <laughs> my boyfriend would stress me out so much that I wouldn't get my period the whole time together. We mm -hmm. were together. And luckily we weren't having sex, so I wasn't concerned that I was pregnant, but I was like so stressed out when I was with him that we'd break up for a month and I'd get my period right away. Yeah, it's crazy. And so that's when I went on birth control because I was getting anxious that I wasn't getting it regularly. And so to help with that anxiety, I started birth control so that I would be more regular. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a great testimony to the yeah. fact that chronic or toxic stress can cause us to completely skip a period because yeah. our bodies are very smart. And yeah. reproduction is the main goal of our bodies evolutionarily. But if you're stressed. Yeah. If you are running away from a bear every single day in evolutionary terms, your body's not going to want you to carry a, yeah. a pregnancy. Or dating a narcissist. Yeah. yeah. That's like running away from a bear in modern day terms. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Correct. I mean, Your that... body's like, do not spread his seed. Exactly. Your body's like, hell no, girl, stay away. <laughs> She is smart. She knows when it's okay to get pregnant versus not get pregnant. Most of the time, I will say. Um, but yeah, I mean, huge amounts of stress can cause that to lengthen going on birth control and coming off, uh, doing any sort of IVF meds or hormone replacement therapy meds that can cause your cycles to become irregular. Um, or I see this a lot, uh, big fluctuations in body weight can okay. play a role in your cycle as well. Uh, notably, women who go towards the under eating and losing weight side of things, but can also happen if we gain a significant amount of weight um, because that just changes your hormones around enough for your cycle to be a little bit triggered differently. Okay. But that's why there's this stereotype of soccer players or track athletes that have such low body fat percentage that they don't have their cycle. That's okay. a real thing. Okay. 
Yeah, like gymnasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. Movie I mean, there's also stress too. But yeah. <laughs> the, the very low body fat percentage of your body is like, okay, you don't have enough fat on you to handle a pregnancy, essentially. Well, that's so. why when you get gastric bypass, they tell you to use protection when you have sex because your hormones change so much that you can get sec- pregnant yeah. more easily. It's apparently. crazy. That's so weird. <laughs> um, okay, so I let's talk about going on the pill. I did it, obviously, to regulate my cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the biggest? Regulate yeah. Cycle. <laughs> is that the biggest reason? And and also, I'm thinking while you're talking about what the pill does, why do we still bleed while we're on the pill? That's a great question. So um, I will try to keep my opinions birth control you can, to myself. You're allowed to use your opinions. <laughs> Just I'm the type of person who I took it and it worked for me, so I continued mm-hmm. to take it. And Honestly, right now I'm kind of missing it because yeah. my mood swings are so out of control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some amazing parts of birth control. Do not get me yeah, wrong. And I've got pretty severe mental health issues. So, it in combination with the antidepressant worked really well for mm-hmm. me. So, I'm trying to figure out a new normal and we can talk about that too. But yeah. I'm. I'm very pro doing whatever works for you. And I, it sounds like you are the same. And if the pill is what someone chooses, that's mm-hmm. what they choose. That's the thing, though. There needs to be a choice. Yeah. And I find at least from a lot of people that I have worked with, people in my own life and myself personally, you're like 14 years old and they're like, here, do you want to go on the pill? Like, it'll make your periods not suck. Like, yeah. And you're like, yes, please. They don't tell you anything about what it's doing to your body, what the long-term complications can be, um, any impacts on fertility. Well, even my friends, whenever they'd go with any pelvic area problems, the pill was the first solution. It still is. And most of them had endometriosis or had... PCOS or had um, cysts like cysts in their mm-hmm. ovaries that were bursting, mm-hmm. and it all went undiagnosed because they were like, "Oh, you just have irregular periods because you're that's the way it is, or your periods just suck because they suck." And yeah. how sad that like a hormone treatment that like really alters who you are is the first thing that they go to. Yeah, I mean. Don't get me wrong. There are some incredible qualities of the birth control pill. Some of them you already mentioned. Regulating moods can be helpful. You are somewhat regulating your cycle. And I'll speak to that in just a second. Um, It can be helpful for women who experience a lot of pain. But, you know, my thought is why are you having that pain? Yeah, why aren't you treating the source of the pain? What is causing a 18-year-old woman to have, you know, bleeding for two weeks in a row or extremely painful periods or such bad mood swings that she can't go to to work or to school like that's not right to me yeah and the solution you know at least from my standpoint is not just giving you a synthetic hormone to suppress everything that can be part of the treatment but it needs to be investigated further like what's actually happening here and is that the best solution and I think you know we're kind of offering this to very young women who maybe don't know you know, that there could be something actually wrong. They're just told, like, here, this will fix this. Yeah. Take it. You'll be good. And that's, like, the promised land. <laughs> you know, it's, like, awesome. All my problems are going to go away. But then when you try to come off of it, you have a whole host of other problems. Right. So, you know, my main qualm with birth control is that it's, you know, not properly explained. Yeah. And we need to be, you know, coming up with some other choices. Birth control hasn't changed since the fucking 60s. Well, I was just watching, I've been watching Call the Midwife because it's preparing <laughs> me mentally for what giving, it's nothing like what giving birth <laughs> is like, but it's I... It's like worst possible case scenario. Yeah. Not even that. They don't, they don't show really the gory part. They show mm-hmm. like a shot, side shot of mm-hmm. the baby sliding out 
yeah, okay, lady. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> um, but they introduce the birth control pill in one of the seasons, and they talk about blood clots and mm-hmm. how the birth control pill is killing people or whatever, and it still does. Yeah. It's- I mean, the doses are around the time when it first came out or about 10 times higher, okay. if not more, than what they are now. So more scary. They're terrifying. Yeah. I mean, they were giving women, I think, like 10 milligrams, 12 milligrams of estradiol, whereas now you're getting like 0.10. Yeah. So, and then they came up with the diagnosis of hysteria. Like, all these women are crazy. They're like crying their eyes out all the time. Well, because they were on a shitload of estrogen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you would feel terrible too. So, and they all had huge boobs, and we don't know. Why. They just grew all of a sudden. <laughs> Yeah, that happened to me when I went on birth control. Did like, it? I went up three cup sizes. I never got boobs. So I don't know what happened. I mean, they went away after I came off the pill. Oh. So, bummer. But but you can wear cute bras. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, my my biggest qualm is that we're not giving enough education about what other options would be, why you might even need the birth control pill, or why you might not need it. Yeah. It's just kind of like we know it works in the short term. So, take it. Yeah. And come back in 10 years when you're ready to come off and have kids. Like, it's some easy feat. You can just come off of this this hormone that you've been on for 10 years and expect your body to start working up, you know, like it never... Yeah, and I, I don't even think they offer, uh, hey, come back and... I asked if I could have kids, and they were like, let me look at what you're on. Yep, those are all safe. Have a nice day. Like, Peace. <laughs> well, and I really do believe, I'm really grateful that there are antidepressants that are safe for pregnancy mm-hmm. and, like... I'm currently on one, and if I get pregnant, you better believe I'm staying on it. Oh, yeah, and you should. Yeah. You're going through enough changes during stress pregnancy. Stress is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgot what I was saying. You were asking me about why do you bleed on birth control, though. Which yeah, we did talk sure about talk that. About. So when you're on, essentially as a normal female human, you should be cycling your hormones pretty regularly throughout the month. You know, estrogen is the main star of the show, Days three through ovulation-ish, depending on how long your cycle is. So that's why you get horny at the end of your period? Yes, because you're entering your follicular phase, which is when you're maturing an egg for it to be ovulated around the middle of your cycle. Some women ovulate earlier, closer to their period, so they can have a really big increase in sex drive. Um, Around middle of your cycle is typically when a woman will ovulate. So estrogen, progesterone ramp up. Testosterone goes through the roof, so your sex drive gets higher. Okay. If you're ever at a point in the month when you're like, damn, girl, you look good, like catching yourself in the mirror, breasts look better, skin looks great, you're probably probably ovulating because your body's like, get pregnant now. And then for the remainder of your cycle, progesterone remains high, which is your warm and fuzzy, calm, cool, collected hormone. Okay. And if you don't have that, that's when women can start to get a lot of anxiety or depression towards the end of their cycle. The reason why you bleed on the pill is because you're given a steady dose of estrogen and progesterone, synthetic forms, throughout the month, which usually cycle very regularly. Okay. And you're given this steady dose, and then you take your placebo pill, so you're getting a withdrawal bleed. Okay. So essentially, you're responding to not having any hormones or any synthetic hormones. So your body's hormones. like, what's wrong with me? Like, Get we have out. to shed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Shedding the uterine lining is a good thing. We don't want it to build up too much. Okay. We don't want to go too long between cycles because then you're shedding a lot of old tissue and um, we just don't want it sitting in there that long. So it's nice that you do have some sort of bleed on the pill, but it's not a real period. Okay. And I don't think that's ever really explained. No, because I stopped having periods pretty much. I think my body just stopped building up the lining, obviously, mm-hmm. and was like, 
eh, well. Yeah, and that that happens often. If you go on a, a contraceptive like the IUD or um, anything that does thin out the uterine lining so you're not building it up anymore, you might never have another period while you're on it. Is that why that's different? Like, the, I was going to ask that. The distance between cycles and then... Because there are some birth controls where you, like, have a period every three months or mm-hmm. a, a, a period. period in quotes <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, it's, are those just as safe? Like, or... Yeah, with an IUD, why doesn't it do that? But it thins your uterine lining, I mm-hmm. guess. Okay. Yeah, I mean, some women respond differently to having a withdrawal bleed every single month versus every three months. This may not be actually correct, but I find that often we're given the the option to do the three months just so you don't you have the convenience of yeah. not having a period every month. Because to be honest, it's really nice to not bleed every month. Yeah. But or to when bleed you, so little that you don't even ever have to use a tampon. Yeah, but when you think about it, our period is period is like our report card it's another vital sign it tells us how we're doing in our health so you know to me that's really important that even if you're on the pill that you're still having that withdrawal bleeding so you're getting rid of some of that lining so generally i'll encourage people to do the birth control that has you know a placebo week every month but you have to find out what works best for you yeah and then yeah the iud typically part of the mechanism is that it thins out the lining of your uterus so you can't implant a pregnancy okay so you're not shedding that as often okay So that's why that would make a lot of sense because there'd be more bleeding at insertion and all of those things that Mm -hmm. come when you get an IUD and everybody. Super fun. Would not recommend to anyone. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was nice to not take a pill every single day, but it it is a very painful procedure and comes with its own fun side effects, you know, different than the pill. Honestly, like there's a, there's a form of contraceptive that works best for everybody. Yeah. And I find that most women get cycled through a lot of the pills, you know, like, oh, just try this one this month, try this one this month. And maybe they just don't do well with birth control. Like yeah. maybe they need to try the IUD or an implant or, you know, some other form of birth control. So I just think there needs to be a little bit more dialogue. Yeah. Like there needs to be more options. Yeah. Enough male birth control, for God's sakes. Why has that never happened? And people are like, well, they wouldn't use it if they had it. I'm like, they probably would. They would if they didn't have to worry about getting somebody pregnant. Yeah. And also, like, condoms are great or whatever, but I hate them. So I don't blame guys for not, like, wanting to use one. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. No. Like, and I don't have a penis, so I don't know how it feels, but I'm assuming it feels different. Yeah. Because that's what they tell you anyways. (laughs) It feels different. (laughs) I think it feels different even from a woman's side. It does. You can tell. Yeah. But, yeah. But what the fuck are we doing with male birth control? That could have happened a long time ago, but the side effects were too great. That's interesting. Because men were getting headaches. Like, was the biggest side effect of any trials they've done so far. Not that they were getting blood clots or infertility or, you know, depression, anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) But they were getting headaches, so it was, you know. Lesser of two evils, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Those miserable women. I'm not better at all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I would love to talk about all the ways the birth control pill, now that we've established that it is a useful tool. Mm Mm-hmm does affect your hormones if if you have are planning on having kids if you're not having planning on having kids ever like it really does affect you lifelong my mom got blood clots late in life and Mm -hmm. they blame birth control all the time for it um but 
coming off birth control sucks. And I didn't think it would. <laughs> I thought you just stop taking it and your body just picks up where it left off. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? No. It, yes, it'd be awesome. It is that way for some people, but not always. Depends on how long you're on the pill, what the dose was, how your body responds to it. Um, I mean, essentially, like I said earlier, you're shutting down that line of communication between your brain and your ovaries. So yeah. as soon as you remove that synthetic hormone, your body has to start working for itself again. And it's like, shit, we don't remember how to do this. It's been however many years. Yeah. You know, we got used to being lazy and having this synthetic blanket of hormones kind of doing our job for us. Question before we get all mm-hmm. the way into this. Because you're not ovulating when you're on the pill... Does that mean your body just saves up those eggs for later? Like, how does that work? That's a great question. Because if they're just sitting in there, does that mean you can get pregnant for longer because you've got those backup eggs that never came out? Or Theoretically, but your eggs still age. Okay. So your eggs are as old as you are. Okay. You know, they start developing while you're in utero. Okay. And theoretically, yes, you are saving some of those if you're going longer periods of time without ovulation. But the quality of them is still declining somewhat because they're aging. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. but I just, I'm just getting this image of like... It's not like a little nest with bird eggs or anything. I, was, it's I like, am like, picturing like an amphibian's... <laughs> the egg sack. The egg sack. <laughs> Biology 101. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty glamorous. It looks like a head of cauliflower with little babies floating in it. <laughs> I'll get Caleb to make a graphic or something mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, that would be great. That'd <laughs> so be it's great. not like that? No. Oh. So eggs essentially like take turns maturing. Oh. So you have a set number of eggs that are immature. Okay. And as your cycle goes, you mature a couple at a time. And then whichever one is ready gets ovulated, released into your fallopian tube, and then into your uterus to be fertilized by a sperm. That's fucking so, outrageous. So like the best one gets released Ta-da. they send out their best troop <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then the strongest swimmer or the one that got there first can fertilize the egg and you know anything that's left over the, there's essentially a, a shell of an egg that degrades called the corpus luteum and creates our progesterone for us the rest of the month okay so that's where we get that warm calm fuzzy feeling is from that progesterone because that's the main way that we make it is after ovulating but okay. there is some other you know, other production of that. But yeah, I mean, you can theoretically only get pregnant 24 hours out of the entire month, but a sperm can survive up to five days. So that's... So it can hang out and wait around. Yeah, it can be like lurking, (laughs) waiting around a corner. Yeah. Wait, that opens up so many different, like, because you could have, in theory, sex with multiple partners within that five days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think Jerry Springer exists? Oh my god! <laughs> you are not the mother. There's like a club. I'm, Wait, is that Jerry Springer or the? Yeah, I think so. Someone trashy. Yeah. <laughs> There's one that starts with an M. Maury. You know. Maury. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm yeah. just picturing like this guy's sperm and this guy's sperm hanging out in the club Duking next to it each out. other, waiting to see who gets there first. It's true, but we do have a protective mechanism called. The corona radiata, it's essentially a crown that forms around the egg once it's been fertilized by one sperm. Okay. And it puts out essentially a spermicide 
that kills any others in the area. So he, like, stakes his claim in that <laughs> egg, fertilizes it, and then puts out a force field. Okay. So you cannot fertilize with multiple sperm. It's possible. But it would unlikely be a viable pregnancy. Okay. So, but, yeah, there's some competition happening in there if you have multiple partners. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, one's good day sperm and one's bad day sperm, and they're yeah. fighting with each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's wild. Okay. We are humans so, are weird. <laughs> I had a shit day today. Okay. Posted all over it social Sorry media about that. it. But I talked to my family members and they're like, You're going through mood swings and as I'm going through the process, this is my second period since I've been off birth control. And it's been three months. So I went forty five days between cycles. Mm-hmm. Um I'm wondering if the progesterone is the reason I feel like straight garbage today. Is my body maybe not producing enough of that because it hasn't for so long? Yeah, I mean, there's always that possibility. Estrogen, unfortunately, is a lot easier to get in our environment because of plastics and birth control and our water supply and all the things that I don't need to get on a soapbox about. But estrogen is in abundance in our country. And... Uh, we make it a little bit easier than we do progesterone. So a relative progesterone deficiency is very common. Okay. And that's what can cause, you know, feelings of anxiety or hopelessness or depression or a whole host of other things. I mean, there's obviously some complex interplay between our neurotransmitters and everything that's going on brain chemistry-wise. But, (laughs) you know, our hormones do play a huge role. And if you're going a really long time between periods, sometimes we just don't have enough progesterone to keep up. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that could be happening to you. That's fair. unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it, knock on wood, theoretically, should regulate itself out. Yeah. Typically, after coming off of the pill, you know, I tell women anywhere from 3 to 12 months okay. after coming off of the pill, depending on what you're doing to support yourself. Okay. So, for, I mean, I hate to use the word detox because it's yeah. like a fad word these days, but. Well, and when we're talking about women's health, people are like, oh, they're going to try to sell me tea. I I just know it. Fuck <laughs> those people. I'm not trying to sell you any tea. <laughs> but you know exactly what I'm talking about where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we've got to get your chakras aligned so you can uh, get back to normal. And Detox is an actual very real phenomenon that yeah. happens in our body, detoxification. But yeah, there's, this word has kind of been bastardized a little bit and slapped onto anything that can sell. Yeah. Um, you know, take this and you'll detoxify, whatever. Yeah. But detoxification happens to all of our hormones, whether they're synthetic and we need to get rid of them or they're made by us. You know, we have to get rid of them because we don't want them building up in our system. Oh, yeah. So essentially our liver takes them, connects them to another unimportant piece that I don't need to talk about right now and then makes you get rid of them through your bowel movements. Okay. The only way we get rid of through hormones is through our poop. A okay. little bit through our pee, but mostly through our poop. So if you're not pooping every single day, your birth control, post-birth control syndrome is going to be a lot worse. <laughs> and you should be pooping like multiple times a day. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody knows that. Yeah. So we have a reflex just like dogs and cats. Within 30 minutes of something coming into your mouth, you should have the urge to have a bowel movement. Yeah. Most people have trained that away or they don't eat enough fiber or they're not moving. So. Yeah. People. I used to think I had diarrhea when I went to the bathroom after I ate and I realized it was just normal. No, that's a good thing. (laughs) Pooping three times a day is great. Yeah. And it it feels nice. Yeah. I said it. Yeah. It does. Pooping (laughs) is great. Pooping is fantastic. (laughs) 
not only does it benefit you, you know, GI-wise, but you're getting rid of stuff that's not intended to sit in your system. Yeah. You know, we oftentimes, a lot of the stuff that's sitting around in our poop is a lot stronger or more dangerous than what it was when it came in because that's what our liver has to do to process it and in hopes that we're getting rid of it. So yeah. especially with estrogen, estrogen metabolizes to a very like super estrogen, a really powerful form of estrogen. And if we're not going to the bathroom a couple times a day, that reabsorbs in our gut. So we have this like super estrogen that we're reabsorbing in our gut and then wondering why we have crazy acne or mood swings or feel like shit or yeah. super heavy periods. Like you're just toxifying yourself by sitting in your own hormone soup. That's not good. <laughs> And let me tell you, I've been in hormone soup all day, and it's not a fun place to be. <laughs> Alphabet soup in there is like, F you. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I'm sorry you're going through that, but. It's, it's okay. It's I'm actually really fortunate because I've lost my mind a couple times in my life that my family handles it pretty well. Good. They're like, have you tried this? I think it might be this. <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. It's always <laughs> nice to have a support system around <laughs> and call us on our shit. Yeah, seriously. Okay, so we're talking about coming off the pill. What are some other things that can happen when people come off the pill? Oof, acne. Okay. Because we have sometimes a pretty huge surge in testosterone after coming off of the pill. Oh. So, and this is a sidebar, but it's important. When we go on the pill, we increase something that binds to all of our hormones called sex hormone binding globulin. So it snatches up all your hormones, your free hormones, like a sponge and especially testosterone. So it can lower your sex drive while you're on the pill, which sucks because you can finally, you know, have not, sex and not worry. Right. But you probably don't want to have sex because, you know, of multiple reasons, but the testosterone being soaked up is a big one. So when you come off of the pill, a lot of women get rebound acne. Okay. Which acne is not the most fun thing to deal with. So a lot of times women will be like, nope, screw this. I'm going back on the pill. Uh-huh. I really caution women to go back and forth on the pill because that puts you in a world of hurt. Yeah. You are better off suffering and working with someone such as myself to not suffer so much coming yeah. off of the pill um, than going back and forth between forms of birth control, going off for a couple of months and going back on. Um, that does a lot more damage, but I would say acne is a big one. Uh, changes in mood are common weight gain. Sometimes most of the time weight stays pretty stable, but it is somewhat of a factor. Um, sex drive can change. Yeah. I think, I think the big one is acne, honestly. Okay. But it typically will calm down, go away as soon as you kind of get back to a regular cycle and, um, can promote healthy hormone detox. You know, those things will tend to calm down if you just give it some time. <laughs> Nobody wants to give it time. No, because it's agonizing. Yeah. Really, like, I got my first period after going off birth control, and I was like, people deal with this every single month? Mm. Like, I don't... I was at the point where I didn't even, like, buy... I didn't buy tampons for a year because mm-hmm. I didn't really need to on my birth control, and then I went off of it and had a real period, and I was like... I'm like a teenager. I'm bleeding on the sheets. I don't know what to do. Like I, mm. I'm just overwhelmed by all of this, and I don't know how people just like exist and work out and do things <laughs> on their period. And maybe that's just the Tampax ads telling me that. But like, <laughs> I legitimately feel like I'm 17, and I don't know how to handle my own body. I mean, 
to show your body a little bit of grace, it is essentially like you're going back to being 17 because you haven't had, you know, you haven't had to do anything since you've been on the pill <laughs> yeah. hormonally. So it's just trying to figure out what's going on. But that's why I'll typically work with people before they're coming off the pill for okay. a couple months to really get them in a good place to be able to come off the pill and have an easy transition. Yeah. Because removing the pill and then just being stuck like, oh, I don't know what to do now. Like, that sucks. Yeah. Well, and I like I ordered a supplement of some kind that I should probably have you look at. Probably. Um, <laughs> don't buy supplements on the internet, kids. <laughs> Disclaimer. Unless you know they're good. not sponsored by internet vitamins. <laughs> you never know what's in them. Um, so, but that's the thing is I'm realizing I my hormones don't know what to do. And like, maybe if I get them balanced, I won't have as much trouble losing weight. And we can like, I'll have more energy and I'll feel like a normal human. Because mm-hmm. word on the street is... When you take the pill for an extended period of a time, it affects those things too, where it affects the way you lose and gain weight and the way that, you know, not your sex drive, but your appetite in general works and energy levels and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to think about not only estrogen, progesterone, our female hormones, but also our thyroid has a really complex relationship with female hormones and thyroid's very responsible for our ability to lose weight or gain weight, our energy, metabolism, all of that shindig relies on our thyroid. And birth control can sometimes, you know, throw a wrench in the plans as far as that communication as well. So, I mean, it's my hope for you and anyone coming off of birth control that if you stick with it for a couple months, do all the things to support your body in the process, um, can come back to a regular, not terrible cycle (laughs) My goal is that women never have to miss work, miss school because their periods suck so much. Like you're not a terrible, cranky, crazy person because that to me isn't normal. Like a little bit of PMS, like I know my period's coming. Like, you know, maybe I want more chocolate. Maybe I snapped. I cried today listening to a song because I know my period's starting tomorrow. Like those things are okay. Yeah. And when I went off birth control and I was crying at the TV, I was like, oh, I know. I know this. (laughs) Like I. I I got you, girl. I, you're coming, but that's uh, normal. Yeah, but but... wanting literally not being able to get out of bed, and I'm on antidepressants, and I've never not been able to get out of bed. Even Mm -hmm. when I was like in depression psychosis, I was I would get out of bed, but I was a robot when I got out of bed. Yeah, so I was like, this is so intense, Mm -hmm. and that's not the depression talking. That's the come down from the yeah i mean you're essentially withdrawing from yeah. a medication and it sucks yeah <laughs> i mean my experience with that was i was on birth control for seven years and then switched to the iud okay. without any break so i was detoxing from the birth control pill while also being put on the iud and didn't even think about that but i was like why am i gaining weight like crazy my hair is falling out i'm getting oh. acne like um, getting hair in places I didn't want it. Sex drive was awful. Like I literally, I felt like a crazy person. And I went to my OBGYN at the time and she was like, yeah, you should just eat less carbs and you'll lose weight. Oh my God. And I'm like, you bitch. <laughs> like I will murder you. <laughs> um, I'm lucky enough that my doctor also struggles with her weight and she is the best about it. They don't mention it unless there's like an actual health problem because they know, you know, mm-hmm. like 
And like, I don't fucking look in the mirror yeah, and know what like, I look like. <laughs> and, and also, like, if my blood work is normal and I seem to lead a relatively healthy lifestyle and I don't have any complaints, like, maybe don't make me feel like shit about it because yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just looking back on all of the stuff I was going through now, and this was while I was in school, so I was kind of learning about this, but it was before the point I had really dove into women's health and everything like that. Um, I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why do I feel this way? And I brought it up to her and she basically was just like, yeah, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Like just stop eating carbs. And if you don't get a period for three months and you want to have kids at any point, you know, we'll have to put you on birth control. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Like the, the, Having to wait until you don't have a period for three months for it to be an issue, and then even if you don't, it's not an issue unless you want to have kids. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I would just want my body to function correctly? Right? Like, your period is a normal, natural part of being a human female. It's the the female oil check, you know? <laughs> exactly. You gotta know. Yeah, I mean, I start... I at least tell patients if they're not getting their period, like, we need – there's something that needs to be done. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a really important part of you. And there are times when you can skip and there's, you know, very valid reasons for that. But ultimately the goal is to have one, you know, regularly. Well, and having regular periods is a sign that you're taking care of your body in other ways too, that Mm -hmm. you're getting good nutrition and that you're, you know, making a home for – would be not baby. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, I tell my patients all the time, and I think I think it's from a book by Laura Bryden, but your period is like your report card. Yeah. How you did the last month, whether you were consuming a lot of alcohol and inflammatory foods, if you were super stressed out, if you didn't sleep, if you didn't exercise, like your period's going to suck. Yeah. Like I know, when, and this is why, you know, I try not to drink alcohol before my period is if I do, I feel like shit. Yeah. If I don't, I barely notice that my period is there. Like. Yeah. Day one, eh, not the best. Like, I might cry at something that's not worthy of crying at. But to be honest, I feel fine. And it didn't used to be that way. I used to have terrible, painful periods. Like, that's why I got put on the pill in the first place. Yeah. And that's 90% of my friends' stories. Right. We, we weren't sexually active, but we. Yeah. And that's a whole nother patriarchy thing that I don't even <laughs> want to talk about. But, like, yeah, it wasn't about sex, it was about regulating your period same but you deserve to know why yeah everything sucks like why are you incapacitated by your period why are you bleeding huge clots like there's a reason behind that and it's not because you're deficient in the birth control pill (laughs) right well just take this it'll fix your problems yeah it'll fix your problems for in the meantime it's like slapping a band-aid on a fucking bullet wound like yeah no you're you're not fixing the problem you're just prolonging the suffering yeah exactly which i mean don't get me wrong, being on the birth control is great because you don't get a period and, you know. Oh, that's – and and I would have stayed on it for the rest of my life if <laughs> we didn't want kids, honestly. Yeah. Like, but I literally took it as a sign from God because I got a spontaneous period in the middle of one of my birth control cycles. Mm. And I was like, I think I'm just ready to do this now because if I'm going to have a period, I might as well just – Just do it. <laughs> yep. Because I hadn't had a period for two years, really, like wow. spotting, but the kind of spotting where – if I was pregnant, it wouldn't worry me that little amount mm-hmm. of spotting. Right. So, yeah. Dang. I loved the stuff, but it was time. I know. I felt really good on it for about three years, and then something clicked, and I got a headache every single day for mm-hmm. a year. 
And I was like, what is, what's this? And they just kept switching me and like, oh, just this is the wrong form. I'm like, I've been on the same one this entire time. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot too. It's like, you know, you you do okay, you do okay. And then all of a sudden your body's just like, nope. Yeah. And then you start going through all these side effects and then you get slapped on other medications for the side effects and it's just a whole clusterfuck. <laughs> so are you on birth control now of any kind? No? Nope. So I went about a year on the IUD and I was so, so, so miserable because of, you know, the combination of coming off the pill and then being on the IUD. And I was also in med school, so I was hella stressed. And um, But otherwise was taking care of myself pretty well. And I don't know. I don't – I just got fed up and I was like, you know what? Take this out of me. Like I'm just going to – just gonna go the regular natural route I guess and honestly had to do a lot of research to find out how to safely do that yeah because if you tell any OBGYN that you're doing natural family planning or you are not going to be on the birth control pill they will freak out (laughs) yeah because they don't understand it either Mm because I mean you've gone through med school I doubt they talk about natural family planning in med school um we got one lecture on it from a 70 year old white male yeah which made you not listen ever he, and he said the word panties, and I immediately discredited everything he said. Oh, I'm glad there's then. a video because that's it's, the face I'm making yeah, on the inside yep. every time someone says panties. And coming from a 70 year old male, yeah, I was it's like, almost as bad as calling a toddler's underwear panties. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna not listen to anything you say for the rest of this lecture, but thanks for trying. <laughs> I'm uncomfy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Um, yeah, essentially. So, so I had to teach myself. How to do this shit for my own body and then also how to talk to patients because, you know, a lot of people that come to see me, by the time they come to see somebody like me, they're fed up. They're like, screw this. I want to get off the pill. Yeah. I don't tell anybody to come off the pill. I'll just have that be known. Um, but I try to support them. Yeah. But we have to prepare them to do so and also have to prepare them how to do, you know, protected sex do, and do unprotected sex. I wish I would have had a counseling session about unprotected sex. It was terrifying. Yeah. Cause, and, and it's what we want to be doing, but still terrifying. The psychological, like, real keeps playing like, uh-oh, because you're just so fr- afraid of pregnancy for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and going into unprotected sex after that can be a little traumatizing. But, I mean, once your cycles regulate, oh. you get to the point where you know when you're ovulating, there's multiple symptoms you can track to make sure that's happening. There's a lot of data that you can collect from your own body that indicates whether you are fertile or not fertile. Yeah. And from there, you can really make a plan with your partner to be safe and not have to, knock on wood, not have to worry about it. Yeah. But you do have to put in a lot more work. Yeah. It's a lot more work than popping a tiny little pill at the same time every single day. Yeah. Which is why a lot of people don't want to do it that way. Yeah. But to me, it was worth it because I feel so much more like myself. And I'm like, damn, what was I doing for eight years? (laughs) (laughs) You know, not feeling great. That's for sure. So you help people manage periods better. Is Mm -hmm. that part of your practice? Yeah. I mean, my big MO is like your period shouldn't suck. Like, let's work on that. Let's find out why. Let's you know, do in-depth hormone testing. If we need to, let's get your liver detoxifying in the way that it needs to. Let's set up your lifestyle to be conducive to health. Like if you're eating a garbage diet, not sleeping, not hydrating, not exercising, like you're going to feel like garbage. Yeah. So sometimes we need to start there. Yesterday I ate two and a half donuts and five breadsticks. Love that for you. Mm -hmm. And then I had a headache and I didn't know why. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) 
I wonder why. Probably because you only ate 1,500 calories and it was in donuts and bread It's all carbohydrate form. <laughs> You're going to burn through that pretty quickly, yeah, sister. I, I did, and I went to bed at 8.30, and then I had a breakdown this morning, so. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love donuts and breadsticks, but the majority of the time I find myself not eating them. Yeah. When I do, I really it, fucking enjoy them. <laughs> it, it was an enjo- just enjoy it day yesterday. Good. You should have those. Yeah. I would argue having something you really enjoy at least once a day, but. Yeah. Probably know. not two and a half donuts and five breadsticks. Girl, you do you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, know. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I Stuff that I tell my patients not to eat all the time, but I tell them, like, you know, if you're going to have something, really enjoy it. Yeah. Don't have any guilt about it. Don't have any shame. Like, just freaking enjoy it. Well, that's a good transition to the break because when we come back, we're going to talk about all the good things and the bad things, uh, sex stuff, and how to enjoy it and what to do if you're not enjoying it. And we, I, we're going to talk about vagina goop, too, I think. Yes, we are. Break time. <laughs> I'm so proud to say that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with Motu Vijay Spirits. Motu Vijay Spirits is a local premium black-owned liquor and spirits company. And yes, they make stuff right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They are quality products focused on bringing people together to experience the finer things in life every day. If you want to check it out, you can find their Motu Vijay Brut at Meyer stores, over 300 of them, in fact. And if you can't find it there, you can always head to your local liquor store. And while you're at it, you can pick up a bottle of their premium sipping vodka, which I highly recommend as a vodka drinker. It's called Avani. And if you can't get them there, you can always go online to motuvjspirits.com. That's M-O-T-U-V-I-G-E-T spirits.com. Thank you to Motu Vijay Spirits for sponsoring our show. Um, so we talked about how the body works, how the eggs are released. Let's talk about the uh, ovulation cycle for selfish reasons a little bit because I don't, I have no understanding of how that works because my understanding is you can get pregnant any time of the month and if you have unprotected sex once, you've made a baby. <laughs> I mean, that comes from scare tactics, essentially, mm-hmm. in sex ed class. It's like, you could get pregnant at any time, anywhere, but that's just not how it works. I mean, we already talked that your cycle can vary in length. Mm-hmm. So how long your cycle is, how long you actually have your period for, and when you ovulate are all dependent on the person. Okay. So typically, I will just teach people some of the signs that are that should be happening when you're ovulating regularly. Um Sex drive generally increases around ovulation. Like I said, your skin can get a little bit clearer um, or you can get acne. Some people can acne around their (laughs) ovulation. Um, Generally, you'll have better energy because testosterone is a little bit higher. Um, A big one's going to be change in sex drive if you experience that. Uh, At a regular time every month, you can almost guarantee that you're ovulating. Um, There are ovulation predictor kits that you can take. Essentially, you just pee on it, and it measures a hormone in your urine to tell you around what time in the cycle you're actually ovulating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, an egg really only lives 24 hours, so 
you as a female can get pregnant for 24 hours, but you throw in the variability of the sperm that can live for five days. Typically, uh, a fertile window, if you want to call it that, can last around eight days or so timed around ovulation. So if you use any sort of uh, period tracker apps or anything that predicts ovulation for you, that's what they'll consider that fertile window is, is the day they ovulate and then five days around that. Okay, so period tracker apps will, in that window, show that it's a fertile window. Mm-hmm. If you are not using any other forms of birth control, you can do things like taking your basal body temperature every single morning, um, either using... What's a basal body temperature? <laughs> so that's taking your temperature via a thermometer under your tongue oh. every single morning at the same time. Can I tell you that I thought it, you had to stick it... In your, not in your butt, but in your vagina. Oh, no. You I don't thought you had to that. take your vaginal temperature. I mean, you probably could, but I don't see why. I was scared of... You put it under your tongue. ...testing my basal temperature. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> okay. That's valid. That's and valid. I, can't, I, I know I'm not the only one. No, so. I'm sure you're not. <laughs> I mean, I thought you were talking about putting it in your butt. No. Like that, that's a thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, you have to... You can Exit take it in your mouth. for me, thanks. <laughs> no. <laughs> You uh, have to take it every single morning at the same time, which is why a lot of people are not super consistent about taking their temperature. But even if you can just do it for a month to two months and just get a good rhythm of when your temperature is spiking, because it will spike right around days of ovulation. Okay. Um, and then should come back down again after you, or, you know, either stay the same or come back down again a little bit after you ovulate. So that's a sign that you can use to predict when you're ovulating, when you're most fertile, um, you can <laughs> track symptoms on your period app. You can take the predictor kits. You can test your cervical mucus. That's super fun. We can talk about that, but that's another whole bag of worms. So I actually do want to talk about that because my impression is that you get discharge on the day that you're fertile. Does that happen? Mm-hmm. So we tend to have discharge cervical mucus that is more fertile or not fertile. So as you're approaching ovulation, you're going to have um, clear or even like egg white consistency discharge. So it's a little bit like stringy. If you had it on your fingers, you could pull it apart. Some people, that's how they test it. Um, it's not going to have a whole lot of color to it. You don't need to put it on your fingers to know that you could pull it apart if it happens. You I feel don't, like. but I mean... You could just if you put really it in want some toilet to. paper because yeah. that's where it ends up anyways. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure if you are relying on checking cervical mucus for purposes of not getting pregnant, you have to make sure you get up in there though because vaginal discharge is different from okay. what's actually coming out of your cervix. <clears throat> so we don't want to confuse those two things. If you're just, you know, you're tracking your temperature and other things in combination with that, you don't have to be as... In depth. (laughs) But if tracking your mucus is one of the main ways that you're trying to predict if you're ovulating or not, then you got to get up in there. Okay. Um, After you ovulate, it should usually turn either to like a darker or even a white like glue because that doesn't let sperm travel through it. So we talked earlier Mm. about sperm competition in the uterus. Um, We have multiple protection mechanisms, you know, to keep you from getting fertilized by multiple sperm because that's not a good thing technically um so after you ovulate usually a few days after and then throughout the rest of your cycle you might have more um like white or thicker paste like discharge so that's a little a really common symptom for women but right around the times that you're fertile it's going to be clear a lot of it because it's fertile mucus sperm can swim through it very quickly and easily 
and you can get pregnant. Okay. And that's probably more than you ever wanted to know. No, that's exactly what I wanted to know because (laughs) things come out of my body and I don't know what they are. Yeah, and you should know what they are. Yeah. Honestly, fertile mucus looks like snot, like clear snot. Yeah. On a cold day, if you blow your nose. (laughs) We called our friend, our friends called it a snail trail. That's a perfect example of Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so speaking of, if we're going to talk about the the mucus and the discharge, when should you be worried about discharge? If there is any color besides really white, so brown, gray, green, red, anything besides that color, you should be concerned. If it is white and really thick and doesn't smell great, you might have a yeast infection. Um, If there is any pain with sex and you're having any sort of discharge, that's something that's a red flag. Um, If you're having any pain while you're urinating and you have discharge, like, yeah, you might have a UTI, you might have an STD or STI. Um, So, yeah, I mean, really anything other than clear or very light white, then you can be concerned. Or maybe (laughs) a little pink if it's right when your period is happening. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the day before your period, you might have a little bit of color in it. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely seeking medical attention if it is green, brown, gray, or white and chunky and doesn't smell good. Okay. I'm not going to laugh because I'm sure that has happened to people because you because, are using examples of these things. Yeah. I mean, that's those are all different signs of infection. Okay. They tend to have different, very distinct colors based on what kind of infection you have. So. Oh. How nice of your body to Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah, it's like, you're welcome. (laughs) So speaking of discharge. uh, The fun stuff. (laughs) uh, Let's talk about lube. because Let's talk about. I happen to be a relatively TMI, but I got a lot of moisture going on down there. Some WAP. I got a a WAP. And most of the time, not when it's convenient. So that's why I am so interested in discharge, because when you got a WAP, you get more discharge than the average yeah. fella. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, has it was it like that while you were on birth control, too? Less so. Okay. It might calm down. You might just be... I, what, I remember it, it was always a thing when I was... Okay. Before I was on birth control, too. But... I, I did dry up a bit when I was on birth control in general, mm-hmm. and I hear that happens with age. Uh, my biggest thing was I felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job for my husband if I had to use lube because I was like, oh, I got a WAP, so like he's going to want me forever. Mm-hmm. And it took us a while to figure out that it could really enhance things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that sex can be less pleasurable for a guy. Like, obviously, they talk about it in songs, but, like, to the point where he doesn't even really want to have sex anymore. If there's not not, enough lubrication. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be, especially if you're having sex without a condom or unprotected, it can almost be just a little bit too much friction and cause them to feel like either, like, raw or just rubbed in the wrong way. Not Mm -hmm. pleasant. There is this huge stigma about using lube as, like, inadequacy. Yeah. Fuck that. Like, you are not meant to be just, like, all the time perfectly ready to have a penis enter you. Like, and even if you are in the mood, like, sometimes your tissues just don't Well, I used to get annoyed because my body would respond. It liked the, the D, so it would respond accordingly, even if I wasn't really in the mood. Like, mm-hmm. 
So guys wouldn't try because it would it would just be like Ugh, stick it in and let's Road. go. Yeah. So foreplay is still important. Yeah. And so luckily I married someone who is great and he <laughs> was like we really be, need to be using lube and I was like okay. Well that's great. I'm sorry I let you down. Oh no! Like, he's like, what? Like, no. <laughs> no I idea. mean, but there is this huge misconception that like your your pussy should always be wet, and like you know yeah. you should. As a pussy is a correct medical term, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. That's that's just not true. I mean, if it is great, good for you. But yeah. if it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. And there are, and I made a post about this. With the tagline of WAP, something yeah. about WAP. So, like, you know, it's it's a real thing. People have concerns about this. Yeah. There are going to be times in your cycle where you are more or less lubricated based yeah. on what estrogen is doing. Um, there are mental states that you can be in that, are, that will lend themselves to being more or less ready. Like, if you're super stressed out, that's the last thing your body's going to be thinking about. Even yeah. if you physically want to have sex sometimes the body just doesn't respond and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having to use a little bit of lube i would just caution making sure you're using one that's body friendly you know there's all these lubes out there that have like sugar and flavorings and stuff in them and that's just not great for the amount of bacteria that live in your you know in your vaginal canal they love sugar having uh cinnamon roll scented sex is disgusting you don't want to fuck yankee candle no and (laughs) i'm not gonna name the multi-level organization that i got this lube from but the texture of it i would describe it as sticky your lube should (laughs) not be sticky (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it smells like vanilla cinnamon sugar and i smell it and gag every time and not because i've used it for sexual things because <laughs> it's that i bad. mean that's great in theory if you want your vagina to smell like a fucking cinnamon bun but that's just no not... because it doesn't smell like a cinnamon bun it smells like vagina and cinnamon bun <laughs> true that combination or probably not balls great. and cinnamon bun <laughs> Uh, not Which a great is not combo. sexy. Caramel no. scented balls is not it's, sexy. It's still balls. Yeah. Just with a hint of caramel. <laughs> no, not not the most pleasant. So as much as flavored and scented lube sounds wonderful. It's a great idea in theory. Yeah. Not great for, you know, your vaginal tissue, your microbiome down there, or for your psyche. <laughs> Yeah. Because then you start to think, like, I don't smell like a cinnamon roll normally, so what's wrong with me? <laughs> like, you are not supposed to smell like a cinnamon roll. You're supposed to smell like a human yeah. vagina or balls. Like, yeah. that's just what it is. Yeah. If you shower regularly, then you shouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, it should be just fine. Um, And while we're on the topic, you don't need to wash inside your vagina, oh, FYI. Yeah. It's I a self-cleaning organism. You yeah, know, you, you can, can wash like the outsides yeah, clean and the, the, outsides. And the crevices for, for your legs. Bacteria hides in there too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you don't need to get going all up in there, especially not with soaps, scented stuff. Even I have an issue with a lot of the like, I won't name any names, but uh, scented female body washes and products targeted towards down there. Yeah. Half of that shit should not be going anywhere near your hoo-ha. Yeah. Like, you are just setting yourself up for a yeast infection or a UTI. Yeah. So, stop. 
Well, use I had very gentle soap for, if you need to. <laughs> I had yeast infections like for years. Like I just kept getting them and then I switched doctors and the doctor was like, oh, you have bacterial vaginosis. Here you go. They have very different signs and symptoms. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got it figured out. Advocate for a doctor who understands the female body because mm-hmm. um, that was years of suffering and thinking there was something wrong with me Aww. for a, one antibiotic. Yeah. Good on me that I didn't need antibiotics for anything else in the meantime, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So, yeah, UTIs, those are a thing. (laughs) Yeah, they are not a fun thing either. Can you get them from things other than uh, not peeing after sex? Peeing after sex is important. Yes. You can get them from switching sex partners. You can get them from using toys or other things and not washing them. You can get them from not wiping from front to back. You can get them from wearing um, thongs and them rubbing where they're not supposed to be because you have a different, you know, set of bacteria in your butthole versus your vagina. Um, so you have to be careful if you are wearing those, um, sitting in sweaty workout clothes too long, going in hot tubs, (laughs) using scented products down there. Um, you know, having sex with multiple people, there's tons and tons of reasons having just a lot of sex. You're more, you know, there's tons of reasons. Toilet seats, I wouldn't say. That's like the big one in sex ed is like, can I get a UTI from a toilet seat? No, you can't. Can you get anything from a toilet seat? I mean, a cold ass, I guess, if you're sitting yeah. on a cold toilet seat. But Yeah. No. Because bacteria doesn't live like that. Unless you literally sat down right after somebody did. Like, maybe. Sure. But I don't think you're doing that. If you're a normal, sane person. (laughs) If the seat's not still warm, you're just fine. (laughs) Someone else's took us, warmed it up for you. What else can you get a UTI from? Yeah, those are the big ones. Okay. Poor hot tubs. I know. I mean, the hot tubs aren't inherently bad. It's just if you're susceptible. Some people are just very susceptible to UTIs and yeast infections, and Mm -hmm. that's when... I put my detective cap on and start thinking about their immune system and the health of their gut because you should be able to fight off UTIs and yeast infections. You should not be recurringly getting them. Um, Unfortunately, the treatment for a lot of them is either antifungal or antibacterial, which can set you up in the long run to have more infections the more of them you take. Yeah. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. Okay. Not fun. Doesn't sound fun. No. Let's talk about fun stuff. They don't feel fun. Yeah, let's talk about fun stuff. Let's talk about uh, sex. Is everyone having it or is it good? Is it not good? I hope a lot of people are having it. Safe, protected sex. Yeah. Yeah. But fun sex. Yeah. Um, tell me tell me about your expertise. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily say I'm a sexpert, but <laughs> I do enjoy talking to people about it because I like talking about things that make people uncomfortable, yeah. first of all. Um, I have a section on my questionnaire that asks people how satisfied they are with their sex lives. And I would say the majority of people that are coming in says poorly. And I'm like, that's really not how I'd like you to describe your sex life. Yeah. Um, so we got to work on that because if you're having great sex, your life can be infinitely better. Yeah. (laughs) Not that it solves everything, but it can solve a lot of things. Well, and it it can create 
relational connections that are really important too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can solidify relationships you already have. It can create new ones. There's a lot of things outside of sex that are part of having sex. Yeah. So, you know, my opinion is as long as both parties are consenting and willing participants and they're being safe, go for it. I mean, as long as you're not hurting anybody physically or emotionally, like, yeah. the more sex, the better. Yeah. Because if everybody on this planet was getting fucked well, yeah. we'd have a lot less issues. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it should be said that you don't need to have a partner to have sex. Like, you are already partnered on your own. You can have great sex on your own. You just have to be comfortable to do that. Yeah. Which, you know, talking about that with a lot of people, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the thought of having sex with themselves, masturbating, um, because either they grew up very religious and it was like the worst possible thing you could do, you'll go blind, whatever, um, or they don't see themselves that way. But to be honest, if you can't have sex with you, like who the fuck else is going to want to have sex yeah. with you? Like you have to at least be able to see yourself in that light to be able to really open up to a partner too. So, you know, sometimes I'll be like, you need to go home and masturbate. Like that's your homework. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Which as someone who grew up religious. Same. Very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Right. And even when you like kind of discover it on your own, inevitably, you know, in whatever weird way you do, because it feels <laughs> like, especially for girls, the way that you enter into the world of masturbation is strange. It's always weird. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's like wondering if putting a tampon in multiple times is what sex feels like. <laughs> you know, like. That's not personal experience or anything. <laughs> I really hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode. But I she's hope so she does. Well. <laughs> Hi, mom. Sorry. <laughs> I had sex before I was married. Uh, you already know that. Burning hell, witch. So, <laughs> um, so like, I we we're talking about finding out. Oh, like figuring it out first of all, knowing that it was a thing that you could do. And then you're in high school and your douchey boyfriend's trying to act like it's something you should be doing all the time. And some people are. They just have been doing it since they were kids and hiding mm -hmm. it. And all the men are. Yep. <laughs> so why don't we teach kids about that too? You know, like why don't people understand that having sex with yourself is important because it's really hard to communicate what you like. Yeah. In the context of sex. Because and it's let's safe. be real, good sex, bad sex, sex in general doesn't let doesn't and shouldn't last so long that you're really doing a ton of experimenting. Like unless you're really comfortable with each other and like mm -hmm. or are a teenager. But <laughs> <laughs> it's okay that your sex doesn't last forever, but it's really hard to figure out yeah. things. I mean, I think especially for women, it's really hard to know how to tell a partner how they can better satisfy you without knowing how to do that on your own. Yeah. Because, I mean, the clitoris is important. Mm -hmm. So many people just think that we can have an orgasm from penetrative sex, and that's it. Like, all you got to do is just stick a dick in there or something in there, and it's going to work. For some people, sure. Yeah. But for so many women... It's just not the way that they orgasm. And they can – literally, I have people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s that have never had an orgasm because they didn't know that you need to have clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. Yeah, and you don't know what it feels like, and the connection of sex is fun and great even if you don't orgasm. So mm -hmm. you just 
Yeah, I mean, sex you can think be, that's normal because nobody talks about it. Right. And sex can be great whether or not you orgasm. But I do think it's a little bit bullshit that, you know, in most heterosexual couples, it, I heard a statistic and I'm probably going to botch it, but I want to say 80% of males in a hetero couple are orgasming every time they have sex and about 60% of women are. Yeah. What's up with that? We already get paid less to do the same yeah. job. We might as well be getting orgasms as and, frequently. And we can have more than one, so right. we can make up for that stat. Females are set up to have multiple orgasms. Yeah. Like, biologically. It's pretty awesome. But yeah. well, And it makes sex better. Yeah. And I know, at least from my um, experience and... You know, if I don't think my mom's going to listen to this, so it's okay. <laughs> I don't have if to worry about it. If she does and she's not grossed out by now, then <laughs> I don't know what else I can tell her. True. Um, you know, I grew up fairly religious as well. I grew up very um, repressed and disconnected from my body. Not to my parents' accords at all. I put it no. all on myself. Um, I well, was my like, parents were very open too. I'm sure if I asked them these same questions, they would answer them yeah, for me. I was just like, nope, sex is bad. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and then I underwent a couple traumas that really solidified a really negative relationship to sex, um, you know, abusive relationships and um, sexual abuse, rape, all that fun stuff. I actually had similar experiences. And it sucks. Lost my virginity from being date raped, which not fun, not a good picture of sex, especially when you're conservative because... Then I thought I had to have sex with that person for the rest of my life Mm. because Mm -hmm. your brain is that way. And then I, all of my other sexual experiences outside of penetration were with a narcissist who manipulated my view of myself. Mm -hmm. So I went to therapy for the date rape because I thought that was the trauma that I had to deal with and spent one session on that and spent (laughs) seven sessions on the narcissist and the way he set me up to view sex. Like. It's crazy how much that kind of trauma can affect your sex life. Oh, it's incredible. When I we mean, got married, I had to go to actual like sex counseling because my body didn't want to have sex. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunately very common. And I would say most of the people that I'm seeing that answer that they're poorly satisfied with their sex lives, there is some component where they're either, you know, so disconnected from their body because of a past trauma or because of um, a really negative relationship to themselves that they can't even physically enjoy sex yeah. if they wanted to have it in the first place. Like, Or if it's possible. So your body can literally, like, reject penetration in mm-hmm. a way where it – it doesn't fit. Or some people have to use alcohol or cannabis or yeah. something to be able to let their guard down enough to have sex. That's a sign of yeah. an unhealthy relationship to sex in your body. And that's something that I really encourage people to explore. And really the safest way to explore that is to get in touch with the feelings and the emotions that are associated with sex, not judging them at all, just trying to feel, you know, see where they come from. Yeah. And then exploring on your own is safe. Nobody can violate you if you're having sex with yourself. That is the safest place to start if you have a really um, traumatic experience with sex. And that is part of regaining trust of your own body is being able to trust it enough to let a partner have sex with you. That is, I mean, that's a gift that you're giving another partner is the ability to connect with you in that way. And if you don't feel vulnerable enough and you don't want to be vulnerable enough, then it's really you know, something you have to sort out on your own, whether with the assistance of therapy or not, you know, we're on this planet to hopefully have sex and have good sex. And you can't make that happen if you 
hate the body you're living in, you don't trust it, you've had previous negative experiences that make you not want to have sex, like, or just the religious piece on its own. Yeah. If a lot of people who end up saving themselves for marriage, God bless you, that's amazing. Yeah. But they get into sex and they're like, well, wait, I've been learning my entire life that sex is bad and now I'm just supposed to shift into this mode. They're like, oh, it's okay with my wife or my husband. Yeah. I have met so many couples who are like, how do I turn that part of my brain off? Like your entire life, you're well, just even, told like. Even within the marriage of like who initiates sex and like, I didn't think I could initiate it because I'm his prize. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm the one who, and and I had had sex before I got married in a totally different context. And so my expectations were my husband's going to want me a hundred times a day mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to tell him no all the time. And we get married and I'm just a more sexual person than my husband is. And, and that was like, oh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Like, oh, you, you aren't wanted by your husband and that's why you're not having sex every day. And a lot mm. of that is because the expectation was that he can't control himself around me. Right. Yeah, I mean, we tend to think the worst, unfortunately. But there's also... Expectations around sex. Expectations. Yes. Yes. There is always... I feel like there's always this expectation that the male partner is going to have a higher sex drive and should always be the one that initiates. And if that's the case, like, cool, go for it. But that's not always the case. No. I've met plenty of women who have a higher sex drive than their partner and just have to make it work. Well, and and it's not even necessarily – he's just – he tells me all the time he does have a sex drive. He's just not an initiator, really. Mm-hmm. So, like, it does end up being on me, but why do I sit there and get frustrated about it instead of just initiating it? Like, it's so silly that there's this, like, battle in my head that's, like – well, it's not going to be as good if I'm the one who initiates it. Actually, mm. it might. Like, it might be better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there's inherently this um, – we're setting ourselves up for potential rejection. Yeah. When we're the one initiating, when it's much easier to just be like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. To, to be the one rejecting is a lot easier on our self-esteem. Um, if you were to approach your partner and you know really put yourself out there and be the one that initiates and they say no – that rejection can really reflect a lot of the insecurities you already have about yourself if you're not used to, you know, re- being rejected. And this is painting with a very broad brush, but men typically have more at-bats when they're initiating because yeah. they tend to be the one initiating. So rejection can sometimes not be as hard on them as it is for women. Not that it doesn't suck. Well, and but... society tells me that my husband is never going to say no to me. Right. Unless and when he's they cheating do, on me. it's like crush, crushes you. Yeah, except... I'm asking him when he's stressed and, like, thinking about other things. Right. Like, just like I would get pissed if he was asking me when I was stressed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just silly that there's an expectation that if if you get rejected as a woman, it counts as more of a rejection because, yeah. you know, you shouldn't even be asking I mean, in the first just place. just move on. Go masturbate if you need to. Yeah. Like, have fun later. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Although it does still suck. I mean, I can't sit here and be like, yeah, if my boyfriend rejected me, tonight and I wanted to have sex like I'd still be really sad about yeah. it like well yeah I'd be like, got... what the hell what's wrong with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> just for a second at least yeah but I mean we just need to be more open about that Re- rejection is a possibility yeah like, but don't let it keep you from not initiating uh, because I mean sexual energy creates more sexual energy so the more that we can um, either have sex with ourselves or partners or even just thinking about sex lends us to wanting to have more sex in general yeah 
Um, and I think that's a really important piece when people kind of fall out of touch with their partner and they're like, oh, we haven't had sex in like a year. I'm like, okay, well, just start somewhere. Yeah. Like, it will build. And it, and we've gone through periods in our marriage where we haven't had sex for a long time, whether mm-hmm. it's been because we're going through some shit or we're just busy or we forget, which does happen. Yeah, like, that happens. Because life happens. And the first time might be incredibly awkward, but then... Maybe you'll try again, maybe even in the same day. Like, it just depends. Right. And your the, like, frequency of your sex life doesn't have to be permanent. Like, mm-hmm. we go through phases where we want to all the time, and then there are some phases where we just don't think about it. And yeah. I think that's completely normal. I mean, sex drive is so much more than just being attracted to your partner and having a libido. Like, yeah. you have to think about your mental, emotional state, the amount of stress that you're under, you know, how you're treating your body in general, what your hormones are doing. Have you emotionally connected recently? I find a lot of people aren't having a lot of sex when they're emotionally disconnected from their partner for any number of reasons. Like they haven't spent any time alone with each other. They're raising kids. They're working jobs all the time. Like there's a lot of shit that gets in the way of well, us having sex. Well, they're just not communicating outside of sex. So mm-hmm. why would sex be an option? Right. That's. I feel like I have to check myself and kind of do a mental calculation of how long it's been since we have sex when I'm starting to just like look at Caleb and get irritated. <laughs> Sometimes and that's completely normal, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is because we haven't connected with each other. Yeah. We absolutely. haven't laughed together. We haven't like talked about anything or our feelings or watched a show together or sat next to each other. Mm-hmm. Like when you're married, you have to sometimes make an effort to make those things happen because you are just doing life together. So yeah. you have to, or even if you're with someone for a long time. Yeah, just, I mean, anytime you're in a long-term partnership, it's like you're starting to do a lot of the domestic things about life, which is the exact opposite of the erotic sides of our life. Yeah. That is the part where you're turned on, you're having sex, you're exploring fantasies. Like those two things are very different. They can exist at the same time, but we have to make space for them. So if yeah. you're living in this domestic world where you're just cleaning the house together, taking care of bills, you know, doing all that shit, it's going to be a little hard to get, like, really turned on by your partner if they're just, like, washing the dishes. Yeah. Like, Well, for me, washing the dishes is dangerous because that's sexy. I mean, same, because yeah. acts of service is my love language. Yeah, but I'm like, thank you. But that's another thing yeah. I talk to people about a lot is, like, what is your love language? What makes you feel loved? What makes you feel connected to your partner? And if you're not having sex, like, can you do more of those things that yeah. makes you feel connected so that we can get the ball rolling on sex? Right. I feel like I'm a therapist in some ways. Well, you you <laughs> have to be, really, like, because so much of it is mental. Yeah. Right. So what are some of the, like, most commonly asked questions when it comes to, like, women's health and sex drive? Like, the things that you're like, oh, they're going to ask this, and mm. then they're going to ask this. About sex in particular, I I think a lot of women come in, like, on their uh, appointment type or on their questionnaire, it says one of their chief com- chief concerns is low sex drive. Okay. And then, like, 10 minutes into the appointment, I find out that them and their husband or their partners haven't connected in weeks. They haven't had sex in months or years. They're raising children together. Like, all of those things that are getting in the way. Yeah. Like, that's a big one that we explore and I wouldn't necessarily say that's a question but they're like why is my sex drive so low and I'm like you are going to go through times in your life where it's going to be naturally lower throughout the month you're going to go through times where it's naturally lower based on what your hormones are doing and then you throw in the added complexity of you know sex as a connection tool between our partners how we feel about ourselves 
and all of that thrown in and it's just you know a clusterfuck it's like how are you supposed to have a high sex drive if you're living like this like there's not anything inherently wrong with you and i talk about sex so much so that my phone started targeted adding me this new medication that's designed to treat low libido in females that sounds really dangerous yeah i'm like well thank you for listening to me phone um i i don't think that that's going to cover it because no. so much, so many of the issues with libido and females is psychological. Yeah. There are absolutely some physical things that need to be worked out. Like you need to figure out what you like. You need to be able to communicate that to your partner. You need to um, really be able to view yourself in a way that is sexual. Um, you need to be able to turn off the rest of your life while you're having sex, right. which is really hard. <laughs> right. And that's why some people turn to like cannabis or alcohol because it gets them out of their own head. So really it's about identifying what their blocks are yeah. to, you know, wanting time sex or having good sex. Um, so I would, I mean, I would say those are the biggest things that we talk about. Um, you know, on birth control, women tend to come in with a lot lower sex drive and they are wondering why. And, you know, there's some things we can do to support that, but it's just unfortunately a side effect of yeah. the pill. Um, I have a lot of women struggling with either anxiety or depression who are either on meds or not. Um, and are having a lot lower sex drive, so that's something we talk about. But really, we just we just kind of get in the nitty gritty. And most of the time, I'm asking them, "How do you? What do you see when you see your own body? Like, how do you talk to yourself? Yeah. Do you know what you want sexually? Like, are you connecting with your partner? Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff hidden under that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And most women are like, "Well, I hate my body, and I hate the way it looks, and blah blah blah." I'm like, "Okay, well." That's a step. Yeah. <laughs> Let's work on that first. <laughs> yes, because if you're not there mentally, it's real hard to have yeah. sex, and let alone good been sex. there. Yeah. I can talk about this kind of stuff because I've been there. I've been in periods of my life where sex was the last thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was just like, I would get so mad at my partner for even trying. And even my curtner, curtner, current partner, we've been together four and a half years. And it's like, you know, we've gone through periods of life where I was just like, no, like, I don't want to, like, constantly rejecting him. And then looking back, it's like, wow, I was I was going through a lot of stuff on my own. Yeah. I just didn't want to talk to him about that. Well, that happens with men, too. Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about that. I yeah, mean, half the bullshit. time we were not having sex was because he was depressed mm-hmm. and also didn't know how to express that because the world has told him he's not allowed to be depressed. And, has, right. like all these complex things about being a man and not being able to express your emotions and then which is bullshit. feeling inadequate because he did reject me and feeling like he wasn't good enough because he said no to me like mm-hmm. all these complex emotions and it it happens yeah i mean really i think what it boils down to is are you communicating well with yourself and your partner yeah and if we can just be honest about all, any of our obstacles to a healthy sex life with ourselves and with our partners, we're going to be in a better place for yeah. it. Like if we can just, maybe this is just me, but if somebody were to come to me and like, no, I, I don't want to have sex because I'm really, I'm upset about this or this. Like I would much rather hear that yeah. than just being like, no. Yeah. Because then you're left to spiral. Like when he says, <laughs> no, I have gas. I'm like, okay. Cool. Don't want you farting on me yeah, while we're having or sex. Or I have heartburn or what like I <laughs> or I'm just too tired. Like right. great. Just communicate about what you need. Yeah. In every aspect of life, but especially when it comes to sex. You can't expect anybody to know what you want, read your mind, know why you're not in the mood, why you are in yeah, the mood. You can't like, expect someone to make you come if you'd never like 
express that they're not making you come. Yeah. What? Um, and can we just talk about the fact that everybody has this like weird expectation that you're supposed to come at the same time? Like that very rarely that never happens. Ha- never happens. I might say never. Yeah. Like yeah. on a if the stars align perfectly. Yeah. I think it's happened once, and it was great <laughs> when it happened. But like. But we act like we're inadequate or we're not doing it right if that doesn't happen because that's how it shows in the movies. Like, they have sex and they, they both finish at the same time. Like, no, it don't work like that. Yeah, <laughs> like, people don't move that much when they're having sex. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> they're not flipping you around and it's not that graceful, yeah. that's for sure. Definitely not. That's choreographed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, what are your, your favorite things to treat? Hmm. Honestly, it kind of depends on the day, but I really enjoy working with younger women who are, you know, going through period problems of any sort, Um, you know, working on getting off the pill safely, coming off of that, or doing some sort of natural family planning. Um, I really enjoy working with anybody with anxiety or depression as well. I'm not going to say I'm an expert in any realm in that, but I do, you know, like to provide another perspective and really work on things holistically or from a a whole body approach while they're either on medications or not, you know, supporting them through that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, obviously I love talking about sex and all of these fun things. And that usually makes its way into every conversation regardless, unless, unless it doesn't feel right. Women really do like and want to be having sex. Yeah. Yeah. They really do. I mean, there's tons of research to support that too. It's not just like you're a whore if you want to have sex. Like, no, we're biologically programmed to want to have sex. A lot. <laughs> yeah. You just have to be able to let yourself. Um, so, I mean, are you accepting new patients? Yes. Always? Okay. I love new patients. Okay. We spend about two hours together during our first visit. Okay. So I get to know everything about them, their concerns. We put together a plan that works for them, and I really want to make sure that they're part of that team and feel yeah. um, supported and heard, and you know, we can kind of go through that journey together. And this is Jenny and I's first time meeting and we're talking about this kind of stuff. So you don't need to be nervous about saying whatever you need to say. Um, because I can already tell that you're easy to talk to about such things. Even yeah. though I'm an overshare naturally, <laughs> so I'm a little biased. But. I mean, I try to make it a very comfortable environment. I work with a lot of people who, for good reasons, don't trust their current healthcare providers. All of there are a lot of them that are really great, but I also see a lot of people who are really frustrated and not being heard or not getting the care that they want. So I really want to make it a safe space. And I have very casual, informal conversations a lot of the times because that sets up a really nice relationship with the patient. And, yeah. you know, I'll talk about medical stuff all day long, but they need to feel comfortable sharing with me too. Yeah. Which is a huge thing, especially with women's health. So mm. um, I will tag your instagram in the show notes so that people can find you um i'm sure you'll answer any questions people have if they reach out yeah absolutely they can send me a dm or um you know however they want to reach out i'm more than happy to answer any questions obviously not give medical advice but (laughs) you know that's sketchy on the internet (laughs) yeah wise yeah uh and just a psa don't buy your vitamins on the internet so uh, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, we can do a Q&A episode, but you hackers didn't fill out my contact form about questions, rude. so that's really rude of you. 
Uh, I'm supposed to tell you to like and subscribe and uh, <laughs> do all those things. Oh, leave a rating on uh, Apple Music because Apple Podcasts, it's my first day because it helps apparently. I don't hmm. know how it helps. It does. Is it? Does it look bad if I leave a review? I won't tell if you don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see you next time. Root tootie toot toot. We did it! Yay!